When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me, I got the crew minus one. We have Matthew Aguilar. What up, everybody? Connor Casey. Hey, yo. And we are missing one, Janelle Wheeler, this week, but not for any bad reasons. Janelle and her husband are finally... Getting to take their honeymoon, they got married, I remember, about a year ago, and she's finally getting to take her honeymoon, and we wish her all the best. She's going to be out for the next two weeks and several episodes, but, you know, we know you guys, our regular fans, will be missing Jay, but we want her to have a fun time. Fun honeymoon, don't worry about any of this, we got it on lock. So, that's who we're rocking with today. Back to a three-man crew, we haven't seen this since, like, season one, but... This is season five of Comic Book Nation, and if you are just now getting into the show, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platforms and on our YouTube page, which is youtube.com backslash comic book, all one word, dash nation. We have a lot of bonus materials that we are dropping left and right these days. This week alone, in addition to this live show you are now watching, we also have our full spoilers recap of the pivotal Ahsoka episode five that we did right after that episode dropped. And after you get out of here, be sure to check out our breakdown of Spider-Man, Marvel Spider-Man 2 for PS5. One of our comic book gaming experts, Logan Moore, went out to an event that was held by Sony and to show off and give people some very first demo gameplays through parts of Spider-Man 2. And so we have a whole lot of goodness in that kind of uh, breakdown video from Logan fresh off the event, sharing with us things you guys want to know about Marvel's Spider-Man 2. So be sure to check that out on our YouTube page and on our podcast platforms, because that should be going up right about now as I'm talking as well. But let's talk about what we're going to be doing for this show. Uh, due to some Google mishaps, I don't really know. Is this thing working yet? Oh. But uh, we're going to be doing a lot. Today we have our fall TV preview, we just like our movie picks from a week or so ago, we are going to be doing a breakdown of our picks for the fall TV season, which is a, a unique one, to say the least, with the ongoing Hollywood strikes. Content is starting to get thing, so we all had to pick wisely, hopefully. It's like that uh, scene in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? You want to choose wisely. You have chosen poorly. I mean, hopefully not, because some of the stuff coming up. All right, but in our rundown today, we got to talk about the Aquaman 2 trailer. We got to talk about One Piece getting season two. We're going to touch a little bit on Ahsoka, a little bit on wrestling, do our fall preview. We also have Matt's agenda this week, which is a tabletop agenda. Matt loves tabletop, and he wants to tell you some stuff about it. Then we go right into more of Matt's agenda, as we have two big comic debuts this week that we got to break down, an Avengers one and a Daredevil one. So... For all you Marvel fans, we have something for you as well. All right, that's it. Somehow I got stuck with a lot of this in this rundown. I don't know how. I wanted to make sure I didn't talk so much and not balance it out. So I was trying to balance things out. <laughs> that's okay. Bit. Connor, would you like to start? You want to take this first one? with uh, You want to take the first item? Oh, dear me. Let me check the run sheet here real quick. Um, it's are we talking Aquaman? Yeah, buddy. All right. Yes. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. The trailer finally dropped. We got about two minutes of Jason Momoa goodness. Uh, we've got Ocean Master is back. Amber Heard is in it for about half of a second. We get a big old exposition dump on what the Black Trident is. Didn't need to know about that. But uh, somehow this movie's going to make a lot of money also. I just I have a feeling. Oh, I still yeah, I mean, it does seem like this is going to make a lot of money. I had a similar feeling. It's just like, for whatever reason, this kind of weird, silly world of Aquaman that we got in these movies is like working for people. And I've re and to be honest, I've rewatched the first one like a couple times. 
I've seen it when it's just on TV or whatever, or just, you know, put it on in the background when I'm doing other stuff. And it's just like, somehow this movie is just like dumb fun, even with, you know, Pitbulls, Africa and the whole nine yards and all of it. But it is just kind of like dumb fun. And it feels like this one's going to be a pretty just standard kind of expansion sequel from the first one. Right. Like in a lot of the beats are even kind of the same. It's just like scary monsters from deep sea Atlantis coming to Gala's black Manta. Looks like he has an expanded role. I'm, I'm for anything that Yaya is going to be doing. I mean, see HBO's Watchmen. So that's classic Aquaman, black Manta. I'm kind of curious about like how much of the script was rewritten and like what all was done with this movie. For a second, I thought like all those rumors about like uh, we remember early on we thought like this other aquatic heroes were going to be all up in this. Is that still true? Well, so that's my biggest kind of takeaway from this trailer is because I agree with you. I'm actually surprised by the amount of positivity <laughs> here about the, about the trailer. But like, I I felt like oh I'm watching. Is this like 1.5? Like what? I, yeah. I felt like I loved the first Aquaman. Like I'm one of its like biggest defenders. Um, but like this felt very much like, oh, hey, we're taking all the characters from those from that movie. We're just going to mix them up again and they're all going to be kind of doing different stuff. And then we're really not going to introduce much new. Like there's not really like from the trailer. Obviously, we see the movie. Maybe there's a whole act that's just new stuff. But from the impressions this gave, it really felt like, I don't know, it, it didn't kind of hit me like, oh man, all this new stuff and I can't wait to see what that does with the established characters. It really felt like 1.5. And I don't know how I'll feel ultimately when all is said and done. I wasn't as excited as I kind of wanted to be. But I hope, you know, I hope I'm wrong. And maybe, you know, maybe it's just maybe it's just awesome and it's great seeing all these people back. It just didn't have that newness. I don't know. It was lacking something for me. It's do you think they kill Mara in this? Oh, I, I think because, that's why she's in it for half a second is she looked like she was trapped in something and that's all we get of her. And when he's got the baby, she's not around. Yeah, it's just what I was thinking, like, because Mara sucks. obviously had that baby, but it seems like Black Manta's first, you know, thing to set this off would be like killing Mara, right? Like, that's how this thing starts. <laughs> there's going to be so much case, real life. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's gonna be weird. The, the real life is gonna be weird for this one. Like it's weird to see this movie and see the kind of theme of it when Jason Momoa, we know in real life, was like completely having his family challenges like during this mm -hmm. and the Amber Heard of it all. I mean, but at least Nicole Kidman's making good on her promise to transport us somewhere magical and things like that. You know, she's she not lying about AMC it. ads. Do they still? Yeah, here we go. We got the first question over on Twitch. And the first thing, every time I write an Aquaman article, this is what I put down in our little uh, in our little kind of search query things. Like everybody's first question for this whole film that we're never getting away from. Is this DCU? Is this DCEU? Is it some weird middle child left in between? I don't know. <laughs> the answer is kind of all of the above. It, yeah, kind of. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's all of the No, until they get the box office. Result. Right, right. That, Blue Beetle was different. Gunn said specifically, "This is part of like our new thing. He's coming with us, regardless of what you know it does, because we have a lot of belief and stuff like that." So I, I think they were more upfront. This has been so long in development, and I just, I, I really think Connor's right. I think it'll be if this does gangbusters. They they loop it in and yeah, it's part of it. And we'll figure the other stuff out along the way of how we need to make stuff connect, you know. But then there's always that big red herring of everyone remembers the Momoa meeting at DC when he left and he was jazzed and he was so excited about what's coming down the pike, and everyone was like, He's Lobo. <laughs> where's where's all that? You know what? There's so many questions with this. Or he got paid movie. for Aquaman 3. We don't know. Matt, you know, you we know what got a bunch of needs. It, it, he uh, Patrick name drops it in the trailer. He says he's trying to end the bloodline. You know who Jason Momoa's take on because someone's trying to end the bloodline. Our tribal chief, Roman Reigns. Yes. Oh my God, that would be that would be amazing. I, I will say on that note, I am bummed that we're not. I mean, this trailer, we don't get any of the other Aquaman family, any of the other Aquaman characters. I don't know. I was really, I was kind of bummed by that. I don't. 
that that's a big Ogar, universe. That's a yeah, cool no. universe. Young Justice, you ain't getting Aqualad. I don't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I don't even need. To, there's on top of that. There's so many other characters and interesting things, and it just felt so repetitive of the first thing just in the trailer. I don't know. I really hope it opens up in the full movie. Hey, it's just more Atlanteans. And shout out to Bob over on YouTube. Thank you for joining our live show. I'm happy you made it here too. See, we see you when you're live. <laughs> That's the whole difference. We actually see you guys when you're live. But um, all right. I mean, I got nothing else to say. I mean, James Wan says this one's going to be scary too. Like, I mean, it looks like I'm happy Yaya's getting to do more, right? That's like, true. I'm happy about that. So it's going to be interesting to see how they how handle the mayor of it all. But this is... <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of Thor Dark World vibes going in here with like, oh, oh we're just going to cut out the love interest and just do a buddy comedy with the brothers. And and we yeah, saw how that worked out to this. <laughs> <laughs> but I I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for Aquaman, too. This made me at least root for it a little bit. I'm not against it. So we'll see. We shall see, like the Zen master said. All right, moving right along. I believe the next one is mine to do. I have once again lost this rundown. I can't keep this rundown today. What is going on today? What I lost my mind at this news, by the way. I was yes, so excited. <laughs> Which one? One Piece, baby. Ah, yes. There we go. Thank you. That's the next story. Uh, it somehow shut down the window that had our rundown on this. But the next story is, yeah, baby. You know, we were big. Uh, we were big on top of this when it came out. Uh, you guys apparently liked it. And apparently we got to keep looping more anime content in here because you guys really took off for like our One Piece breakdown and all our discussions about that show. But yeah, One Piece, the live action, One Piece is getting a second season. Netflix has announced it. We did it. Like it, it's going to happen. So Connor, you, I mean, ironically, I introduced this story, but I'm very curious to hear how you feel, because if you guys don't know, Connor Casey was in our One Piece review. He liked the show, but he fairly pointed out that one piece being as extensive as it is as an anime manga he did not have the faith of netflix to carry this series long enough to get to all the awesomeness that comes the time skip all that big stuff so connor how are you feeling right now I, i'm i'm still right like uh, there's I'm, I'm not worried about my take at all with this. I said you were getting two seasons. So you're getting Alabasta. You're getting Baroque works that we knew that was happening. It's after this that I'm concerned. And I, I think the point I was trying to make was buried under the that's the most cynical thing I've ever heard, which is just go is. just go still read manga again. or watch anime. That, that was always my point, you should just go do that stuff instead. No, I, I mean, I hear you. I think your take was still one of the most cynical things I've ever heard, but I don't think and, you were and, wrong. And I love how we do the spoiler cast. I'm not even on it, but I'm still getting brought up because my take was so correct that you brought in Evan Valentine. And what's the first thing he says? I agree with Connor. Yeah, yeah I, know. I know. Every, it's, every squirrel it's, finds a nut, it, yeah. you know? I mean, it's like, yeah, 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 I, know. <laughs> yeah. I just keep one finer. <laughs> And you, yeah, and yeah, you and Evan Valentine having similar tastes does not shock me all out, out of my skin. I wasn't like, I was like that fry gift. I was like, I'm shocked. You Although later shocked. in the episode, Evan switches if you watch the whole thing and comes around to like, oh, but it's okay if we don't get those. It's all right. You can still enjoy it for what it is, unlike someone. <laughs> so, no, it's not the same. All I heard was Connor is right. And yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you clicked it off. You're like, my work here is done. End of episode. All right. But uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Yes. I mean, we're getting season two. It'll be interesting to see how they move things along. Like if they stick to like pacing this a little bit faster and all of that. But um, I mean, for right now, we can be happy, right? Can you be happy right now? Connor, is it possible? Or are you still yeah, it's possible like, for me? I'm to not going to let myself invest this emotion into this venture. Um, I still, but, yeah, uh, we're just I'm allowed to be happy. I just I know where this is going. All right. Well, you know what? You are a wrestling expert. So if you know where this storyline is going, I do not doubt. I don't doubt you on that one. All right. But uh, I mean, we're happy. I'm happy. And the announcement, if you want to check out on comic book uh, anime, it was great that we got the announcement from Ichiro Oda, you know, himself, the creator of One Piece and has been kind of helping market this whole thing. And yeah. And shout out to the whole cast of One Piece, because as we said in our review, they did an excellent job, and I'm happy about this. Go watch more anime. Apparently, we got to fold more of it into the show. 
All right. So I believe up next, is that the last news item? Are we yeah. So to, you're, uh, yeah. It's all okay, easy. good. All right. So uh, this week for our review, real quick, we are going to be talking about A Haunting in Venice, the latest of the Hercule, Hercule oh my God, Hercule Perot movies. Perot. Uh, that Perot. Hercule Perot. Uh, movies that star yeah, Kenneth Branagh as yep Kenneth Branagh as the uh, famous sleuth detective, and um, this one follows up Murder on the Orient Express and what was the other one? Death on the Nile. Uh, Death on the Nile. Yes, and so this is the third film they've done from this, and by far I can say the weirdest. When I came out of this movie and I had to talk to the PR people, they were like, "What do you think?" I was like, "That was weird. Like that was weird." And it is a weird movie because, as you know, Perot is like a very kind of practical minded detective looking for like the simplest. You know, he looks out the simplest thing. He can suss out people's motives and and tricks and things that people use to deceive and make one thing look like another. And so he's very practical minded. But this is a case that purports to involve a supernatural element to it. So it's a very kind of different approach to this movie right it's not just a murder mystery whodunit procedural there is this supernatural element included in it so i'm not going to get into spoilers but of course the whole case is hinges on the idea of how real is any of this or not and how real is the afterlife the supernatural or not compared to like the quote-unquote rational mind and so that's what a lot of this movie hinges on but credit to the cast and the crew and, and everybody who had to make it because walking the line of trying to do like a haunted house movie within a practical detective story is not easy. And it, they do strike a good balance enough. Kenneth Branagh is weird. If you know his directing style, you know, Dutch angles and stuff like that, they work a lot more effectively in a, in a setting like this where you're trying to make weird dark hallways and possible ghosts and stuff like that look creepy. So that's good. But of course, a lot of it just ends up feeling really trippy. Like I felt like I was like, I was like, did somebody dose me with acid before this? Because, you know, they gave us a cocktail to enjoy. They were like, Oh, see the movie. We had a cocktail enjoy. And I'm like, looking at the drink. I'm like, what is in this? Like, because <laughs> it is a really weirdly trippy movie. Like, and that's part of the story also is like Hercule Poirot begins to wonder if his own, perceptions are being messed with and things like that and if he's been drugged and so like a lot of it is mimicking kind of that and i won't tell you what the answers are but like yeah so a lot of this movie gets like kind of surrealist it gets kind of like weirdly film schooly in a lot of ways but there is a fun cast to kind of bolster things like the ensembles are a big part of these movies just like the other big whodunit of the time which is um the knives out series uh benoit blanc series that uh ryan what's his name is it ryan johnson right confusing my line yeah that is, ryan johnson's been working on so this one has kenneth brana it has you know jamie dornan who's like from 50 shades of gray it's almost rec unrecognizable in this role he plays a shell-shocked ex you know soldier <laughs> tina fey is a scene stealer as you know one of perot's friends kelly riley's always great from yellowstone you know michelle yo's in it and just chews up scenery from it and so there's a lot of good acting and a lot of good ensemble and a lot of famous people you like to see together or just be like, oh, wow, that's cool to see those people together. But all in all, I think this one, I said, I think I would put it in the middle. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express is by far still the best. Death on the Nile is not a hard bar to clear. So this is better. I think I think this, I like this better than Death on the Nile because which just felt like Murder on the Orient Express, except worse. But this is at least attempt at a different kind of thing, but it is a weird one. And one I think you would enjoy probably on streaming more. You'll be like, oh, this is a good one to put on on like spooky season around season on streaming if they flip it fast enough. But um, these are never bad. I know why they're a safe bet. I would want, you know, I'm still going to watch more of these. I hope they just get into some more kind of clever ones and, and kind of Ocean's Eleven Nolan it a little bit, like get us some funnier thing, like more detective-y things to kind of play with. Um, the supernatural one was ambitious. They took a swing for it. I'm not mad at that, but it is weird. It is weird. So yeah, there you go. Kind of a mixed bag. That's how I felt. Sorry, I can't be more clear. But you can check out our full review from Mr. Turnup Charlie Ridgely on hey, comicbook.com hey. comic movies. 
I'm sure it'll be completely different than everything I just told you because Charlie's takes are Charlie's. But that is our review of A Haunting in Venice. I believe, are we scheduled for a break right now? Uh, no, we're going to go to, well, we had Ahsoka and then uh, I've got one more uh, small review. So you want to bump Ahsoka and then I'll do mine real no, quick. No, we can, we we can, can do it real quick. We're, okay. we're making okay time here. We, we're good. We're only 24 minutes in, baby. We are flying today. Look at this. So, um, yeah, I mean, knocking in multi, multiple episodes out a week. I think we're just really, we're on it. But, um, so, any further thoughts? So, we were talking about Ahsoka episode five, and uh, we did ours as an instant reaction. Did they ever answer, was it, did Filoni or anybody give it any interviews yet about, like, what was going on there that we should I, be... Uh, I haven't seen any. I have seen the argument that it could be his force ghost only because at one point she says, I won't kill you. And Anakin goes, I've heard that before. And that's quoting yeah. Luke. Okay. So I wrote up one right after we did our episode. And, and I said that while there's a majority of the evidence that points to, it's not a force ghost, that it's Ahsoka's own like, mind trying to work things out between life and death. There are these weird irregularities that, that a force ghost, that only seem like it could be a force ghost. One is like what Connor points to. She says, oh, you know, I'm not going to fight you. And he says, I've heard that before, which is a direct echo of what happens in Return of the Jedi. And there's also the fact I pointed to that he follows her into a memory of a battle that he was not at, right? And I guess you could do that for a mental projection, but it seemed like he almost had his own independent kind of take on that, like asking her like, oh, I don't know this. Like, what is this? And he was just another presence coming along with her. Ultimately, I don't think it's important. You and me, Connor, we started to get into like a bunch of Star Warsian stuff about it. And Matt wisely brought us all back down and was like, none of this matters. Like, it's just a story, like the point of a story. And I think I've been more that I've been thinking about it, like the more this episode I rewatched it is really standing out to me. The Anakin thing is a great, great Easter egg gimmick for fans of the prequels and fans of Hayden Christensen. But I think my real value in this episode is what it does to kind of reconcile Ahsoka in a way that we really never thought of before. Uh, I, I thought that like the more interesting was kind of seeing Ahsoka and realizing the story here is really about this young girl who was supposed to join Peacekeepers, which is what she signed up for, and then gets not only thrown into war, but thrown into war under the guidance of like one of the most intense and arguably kind of nuts Jedi there have ever been. And that's her master and trained her to always have this kind of Vaderish edge of aggression, kind of going out there, stopping the problem, taking a fight, you know, doing what needs to be done. And her kind of weird kind of legacy of never really being able to settle her self-identity, where she belongs, like how much of her could be corrupted, like all of that stuff. And I think this was a beautiful episode of a character study to kind of like work through all that. And it really was disturbing because you've seen Filoni do Young Ahsoka, but like a lot of people are reacting. When you see her as an actual child in the middle of a battle, like that really hits different. And you don't really think about that character in the way until like now. And you're like, oh, my God, like, yeah, a child soldier who's still kind of like trying to deal with all this. And now trying to teach others and wondering, like, if I teach somebody else, like, what am I passing on, like, is a big thing. So I love this episode, uh, you know, as everybody else is also noticing, you know, good good job on Ahsoka for making Star Wars super sexy again. These ladies are killing it out here. And uh, yeah, is there an uptick in uh, orange pants sales after this week? Because I saw the discourse. Yeah, I told my wife, I was like, so <laughs> might be ordering that something. knows why. <laughs> might be ordering something. You might see an Amazon package come through. Don't be weirded out. Just put it on. But, you know, yeah, it, it's it's getting crazy out here. It is nuts out here. Man, um, yeah, you all know what we're talking about. We're not going to get too crazy, but uh, orange pants are one with the force. All I got to see is, all I know is that gif of Obi-Wan jumping up saying, hello there. Hello it's there. a whole lot different now. And if you know, you know. You know. All right. You guys have any thoughts uh, on Ahsoka? Uh, just that, you know, I, I still kind of cling to, I hope this isn't the last we see of Hayden in this series. And I, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, for as much as post episode six that we've gotten in the Star Wars world, 
We haven't really gotten Anakin as a Force ghost. And I, I wonder if there's a reason for that. And maybe that's a story in it its own there. Yeah, I think there should be a series about this. This convinced me. I've said it on Twitter, and I think there should be. I would love to see just... If it, I mean, if we got this and this kind of kicked off and it entertained enough people, I would love to see, even if it's like three episodes long of just Anakin getting into the afterlife and being like, oh, what now? Yeah. And being like, Qui-Gon and him and like all of them being like, oh, well, you're here, but you can't just enter the gates, buddy. There's a little bit of complicated stuff we got to discuss. Yeah, like here. your kids got issues. Your grandson's got issues. You're silent for all of this. By the way, your ex trainees over here looking real depressed with their arms folded the whole time. Going to do anything about that? That's that that's a story in its own right. Yeah. I mean, and I would watch that and I would love to watch that because there's a lot that Star Wars comics, which we cover extensively here, have done to show you kind of what those years of Darth Vader really were like for Anakin and under the helmet and how much more complex the writers have made that whole journey. And, you know, to earn what happened in Return of the Jedi. And there's a lot to build from there that I think you could actually do a series about. So I think Hayden Christensen's earn it. I think he's, like I said, on the full spoilers thing, every time he appears in one of these, it's like one of the best episodes of Star Wars. So I'm for it. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you guys, let's see, because we're in the back half of this series quick. When do you need Ron to show up now? Does it have to, I'm saying it should, if I don't get it by episode six, I'm, my eyebrow's going to start to arch a little bit. I feel like there's no reason by the end of episode six we shouldn't be looking at Grand Admiral Thrawn. If it's not episode six, I'm expecting an, a season two announcement like quickly because there's just not enough time left for what they're trying to do. Yeah. So, yeah. We got major Darksiders to kill. Got to see Thrawn. Got to find out this Ezra thing. So, yeah. But my brother just texted me. He. <laughs> Right now, live, my brother's like, I'm going through all these Rebels and Clone Wars episodes so I can see this episode this week. I really want to watch it. Good luck to everybody out there and enjoy. I wish I could be getting some of these episodes again for the first time. But uh, I'm Team Ahsoka. We'll be back with our regular recap episode after episode six to talk about whatever happens. Matt, you had something you wanted to drop. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Netflix recently dropped a series called Wrestlers. Uh, just uh, like six, seven Ooh. episodes, I believe. Uh, and it's all about <laughs> <laughs> it's all about uh, OVW, uh, and it follows you know the kind of several of the stars of OVW, um, some newer, some who have been there a while, and of course all led by Al Snow. But it's it, we talk a lot about on this show about stories and storytelling and wrestling. Me and Connor have gone back and forth a ton, right? It, that's part of the fun of it is the storytelling. And this show, you know, I wasn't I was familiar with what OVW is. I wasn't necessarily as familiar with who is all involved now and this kind of current era of OVW. And this show is it's got like three concurrent storylines going on at any time. Uh, you know, you have kind of the top tier one of there's like new owners that come in and they want to make this they want to sustain OVW going forward, but they need to make money. And so there's this very practical, like, hey, we got to put people in seats. We got to sell tickets. We got to, there's this thing. And, and so there's this kind of modern, hey, practicality compared to Al Snow leading a wrestling company and creative and how to grow these people in their skills, but also tell compelling stories and put on a weekly TV show that's been running forever. And then you have all the stories of the wrestlers themselves and they all have their own things going on in their lives. And, and some are kind of ping ponging between different companies. And so it's like this, just you end up by episode one, I was hooked, but like by episode four, I was fully invested in like four or five ongoing threads. And I, I came away from it just like really, they kind of build all the way to their big pay-per-view and all of these things kind of collide at that big pay-per-view and I was invested the entire way through in it. And we talk about Ahsoka and like how it's made me want to go and check out some of the things that I've missed in Star Wars. This made me, is I'm invested in several people and I'm going to add OVW to my regular <laughs> list of things to watch because I'm invested at this point. It did what it's supposed to do. It hooks you, it, it, they go through, I'll snow. Like there's this whole great thing. I won't spoil stuff, but obviously like, 
you know, he he actually ends up getting back in the ring. And so there's this whole kind of storyline with that and his reflection on his career. You know, they work like Ric Flair's last match is featured. SummerSlam in Nashville is featured and all these different things are featured along the way. And but it's interesting seeing them from the viewpoint of them because they're kind of these up and comers and working to get to that spotlight, you know, and it's fantastic. I couldn't recommend it more. It's a quick one. You know, each one is about an hour long, but still like it goes quick. And I, you know, if we get a season two, I'd be up for it. But even then, like there's an ongoing show you can literally go watch and see all these people. Now you'll have to wait for a season two. And I, I will add it to my list. It succeeded in that regard. So I recommend it, especially if you're a wrestling fan, but even if you're not, if you're not familiar with OVW at all, you don't have to be. It does a great job of telling you the history and showing why maybe you should care now. So recommend, man. Very good. Yeah, I saw that in my Netflix queue this morning. I was waiting to hear somebody from wrestling tell me if it was worth a watch, but uh, I guess that's it right there. Boom. Yes is the answer. All right. (laughs) We are going to take a break, I believe. And when we come back in our second half of the show, we have more good stuff for you, including a breakdown of some very big comics Matt's tabletop agenda, and I forget if there's anything else. Our fall TV preview. That's it. Oh, fall TV. The whole thing we titled (laughs) this thing for, too. Yeah. That, too. That whole thing. Might be doing that. Yeah, that whole thing. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll be back on Comic Book Nation right after this. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of comicbook.com. If you missed the first half of the show, we broke down our review of Haunting in Venice, the new Hercule Poirot movie. We also talked about the Aquaman 2 trailer. We also talked about a new wrestling show you guys should check out. So be sure to go back and look at all of that if you are coming in late. Now, Moving right on to our fall TV preview. So just like our, we gave you our movie picks for the fall season this year, same format for TV. Each of us dropped our top two picks, and we don't know which, like we didn't share with each other. Only the producers know. So we're going to go through and see what everybody picked right now for their top two TV picks for fall and see what kind of reactions we get. And I believe it always starts the same, and that begins with Connor Casey up first. Thank you, alphabetical order. So, guys, my two picks for the fall. I went fancy last week with the movies. I'm going to keep it superhero-based here with the TV picks. I got Gen V and Invincible Season 2. Now, Gen V is a spinoff of the boys and it kind of to me it kind of feels like a test of how far they can stretch this property they basically said okay we're gonna take out all the cast you love from the boys no butcher no huey no kimiko no frenchie no mm none of them uh no genuinely terrifying presence that anthony Starr brings with homelander um, based on the trailer, uh, we can tell that some of the mean-spirited superhero media commentary is back. We don't know if any of the deeper social commentary that the later seasons of The Boys really dived into. We don't know if that's still here. We've said it at college, which is a setting that comedy films in the 2000s drove into the freaking ground, and we've kind of stepped away from it. Euphoria's got us focused on high school instead of college, so should be interesting. And... On the upside, the cast looks great. Jensen Eccles is listed in the cast, which is interesting if you know how the last season of The Boys ended. Um, Clancy Brown's showing up. And our main girl can bloodbend. So if you are a Last Airbender fan, you just clenched up like I did because you know what that looks like. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic about this one. I don't need another show that spends eight episodes going, wait. You're telling me this, the the seven Homelander, you're telling me they're evil? I, I, I don't need that. But the showrunners have emphasized that what happens here is going to play a big role in what happens in the next season of The Boys. So for that reason, I am cautiously optimistic. Meanwhile, over on in the animated world, we're getting Invincible Season 2. I absolutely love the first season. But after reading the comics, I get the impression that the show isn't so much an adaptation 
of the comic. It's Robert Kirkman's attempt at essentially rewriting it. If you followed along with either property, you know that a lot of the storylines from much later in the comic were brought into the first season. Story arcs that took dozens of issues to take care of in the comic were crammed into a single episode. Meanwhile, other characters like Amber were actually given personalities as opposed to just being background characters. Um, I have a hunch as to where they're going to go with this first half of season two. If you ask me, where does the final episode end? I, I have a pretty good guess, but I'm also still curious as to what they bring from later in the series into this now, because uh, there's some pretty messed up stuff and things get violent. So uh, expect more of some of the craziness we got in those later couple of episodes popping up pretty early on in season two. All right, Janelle is out, so I believe it moves to me next. And my two top picks were in order. I went all animation this time because I'm banking on what I know the stock will be there in the future. I'm an investment person. So I'm banking on Rick and Morty season seven and Invincible season two as my top two picks for fall season. Um, I do not read the Invincible comics. I have no idea. I'm in this because of the animated series and that first pilot episode, which really only got me in the last 10 minutes, but really got me. And then yes. I was in and now <laughs> all the way in. Um, yeah, I love this show. I love, you know, we see these different takes on superhero origins and super and kind of trying to remix the Superman mythos. I mean, both of your kind of picks are from universes that tried to do that, Connor. Um, and I think I love both what the boys does with Homelander. And I love even more like what Invincible does with Omni-Man and this whole idea and the reveals that we got in season one, which again, since I don't read the comics, I got to experience that all fresh. And was just like, by that end episode, I was just like, yeah, this show can go some pretty wild places. You know, most superhero shows are like, we're trying to prevent a large scale disaster. Invincible's like, no, we just killed like half of Chicago. Brutally. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and just the, to teach my just to teach my son a lesson. Like so and that I, train sequence that everybody talks about, that's not in the comic. That was show only. So yeah. Imagine so they're what doing else. extra. They are doing real extra with this. But um, as we've seen, like in the Adam and Eve episode and season one, Invincible also can do like dramatic and coming of age stuff, like in a really deeply powerful way for an animated series. So I can't wait. Robert Kirkman's already, already teased how we will both expand the series to go into the galaxy to see like what Seth Rogen's Alan the Alien teased in season one about the coalition and the larger universal battle against the Verulamites or I always forget how to say their Ultramite. name. Uh, Vultramite. Yeah. Ultraman's people or Omni-Man's people. And we're going to get to learn more about like what superhero world on earth truly looks like because Invincible Adam Eve, these people will be full-fledged, stepped-up heroes, and they'll be going around the world handling stuff, as we've seen in some of the preview images. So I can't wait for all of that to happen. I love the Adam and Eve, Adam Eve episode, too. It was kind of heartbreaking, but also kind of a good reminder of why we love this universe. So I'm looking forward to it. Rick and Morty, of course, I'm watching, like, I'll be right in front of the screen for the same reason I was. I hop back into Solar Opposites real quick just to see how we handle this car wreck of getting over Justin Roiland and, and if we can keep this thing going. Solar Opposites did the bold move of just putting in a completely different voice in Dan Stevens. It took me two episodes, but then I was like, all right, I'm gone. We're back in it. And I I'm sold on this. So Rick and Morty is going to be using actors who are mimicking Roiland's take on these characters. And I'm kind of curious to see how it is. And, you know, they've talked they've talked big. They said, now that we've gotten this presence help, we think the show might be rolling even better without him. Um, so we're going to see and we're going to see kind of if that's true. I, I believe in like people like producer Scott Martyr, who is an expert at just taking shows that are already established and really pulling them together. See, it's always sunny. Um, so I think they could pull this off if you don't have like an erratic kind of crazy presence as allegedly Royland could be. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, and, but still have the spirit of those characters who are so well established by now. We'll see if it works. So I'm here for Rick and Morty and Invincible and I'm putting my stock in animation right now because it's getting thin out there with the live action. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's me. Um, we've we've got a three-way crossover uh, in Invincible, uh, <laughs> but also uh, it wouldn't be me 
Well, Power Rangers. So uh, I'll, I'll get to Oh, wow. Wait, what? We are going to get so crucified. I thought no for one sure one Loki. of you two fools would do Loki. No, if here's Janelle the thing. was here, I know she would have. Yes, like, Janelle you know, would have yeah. done Loki. Uh, Loki oh, was yeah, number three. Picks real quick. Oh, geez, guys. Uh, uh, Loki would be for me. I love Tom Hiddleston, and you know, I love Marvel, and it's gonna be great. Oh, um, yes, yeah, so that is not a solid. That is not a solid Janelle impression. <laughs> I can't do a real solid Janelle. Nobody can match a good Janelle. Like I, I'm just trying. That Very was more true. like a Morty. That was like yeah, was Janelle Morty. by way of Morty. Like yeah. So Janelle's what it's all I got, mind. man. Yeah, but, but she uh, we know Janelle won. would pick more. Would pick Loki. So we're gonna stick up and say hi. Janelle's pick is Loki. You guys were safe. She's just not here this week. But uh, Matt, Loki was number ahead. three, though. Loki was number three on my list. It was a debate, but I honestly yeah, we're gonna go through. I want to go through honorable mentions, but let's let, let me get get your Power Rangers off. Well, yeah. Well, so well, the reason was was because Invincible. It has been so long since, like it. It's just the length of time. I have been wanting to see more of this show. The first season made such a great impression. Uh, I'm knowledgeable about the comics, but I haven't read them all. And I haven't, you know, there's a point where like I kind of stopped. And so I just haven't finished that spot. So there's a lot of stuff that is a surprise to me. Um, But this, I'm just excited. And I will say the Adam Eve episode was great. It got, got you hyped again. Um, And so I think I was just excited for it. I'm excited to see what they do. Cosmic Fury is a big deal. Uh, It's, this is one of those things where like the 30th anniversary of Power Rangers is all this year. Obviously we had once and always earlier this year, right now with the way things are in within like Hasbro and what they're doing with the franchise moving forward and the 30th and everything, this is probably going to be the last Power Rangers of this type and iteration that people have come to expect over the past 30 years uh, until whatever rebooted universe that is supposed to tie in the TV and the movie side. So it might be a minute before we actually get like another Power Rangers TV show. Uh, it's just, especially with the strikes and stuff, prolonging things even further. So this is like a big deal. It's also a big deal because it's the third season. Mighty Morphin's the only other season to ever get something like that, especially with a returning cast. Uh, and then Cosmic Fury is also like doing, you know, we've got original footage stuff. We've got new costumes that are not part of the Sentai. Like there's so much new happening. And also it's the cast from Dino Fury, which is an amazing cast. So I am super, super stoked for this. This is actually later this month uh, at the very end of the month. And so it's a bummer that like the cast can't, you know, talk about it, obviously, with what's going on and support it <laughs> in the way that like you typically would. But I'm excited. It's a it's a big thing. People are anticipating seeing what they can do, and uh, a lot of firsts in this. So uh, definitely sticking up for for Power Rangers. But Loki was in the running. <laughs> I'm looking at the comments. Listen, guys, we have a whole Marvel podcast. They're going to be thrilled about Loki. They're going to be thrilled that Loki's going to be back. You guys can rock with them and get that Loki love off. All throughout that show's run. We cover all things geek culture. Our tastes are eclectic. We are all over the place. Oh, are we and, getting called backtrackers? Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, Peter. Oh, Peter's, <laughs> Peter's correct. Producer Peter has his quote-unquote correct TV picks, which are Invincible Season 2, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, and Loki Season 2. So there you go. Not only do we have it, we have a graphic for it. So Peter's there to save the day with this. But no, we none of us chose Loki as our top because it's not our top two. It just is not like I want to see Loki as much as anybody. I hope there's new mysteries. I hope we get some answers on this multiverse saga, but like it's not my top. It wasn't even my honorable mention. My honorable mention after that was the return of both American Horror Story and American Horror Stories, which I've always loved both those series. And so I'm interested in this new one, which is based off a book and has, you know, the high profile celebrities. But I'm also really interested to see stories come back because I like that anthology series and I like the kind of episodes we can get out of that. So, yeah, Loki wasn't even in my top three, man. I'm sorry. It's just it, it's number four, probably. But like it, it is in my top three. And if it doesn't land, I got to wait all the way until House of Dr- the Dragon season two before I get some good live action stuff again. <laughs> yeah, man. So. I like will I said, say I put my investment in animation and uh, yeah, go ahead, Invincible Matt. also bumped up a little because I, I got to admit, like I, I was one of the people who did not want a Loki show. I've admitted that many times and I was Loki ended up surprising the snot out of me and it was excellent. So I had to like eat a ton of curl on that. Um, 
this time around. So I was excited for Loki season two. I will say, uh, I, and everyone knows this who's watched the show and listen, I am not a Kang person. Okay. <laughs> never have been never. I was never on board with the like movie stuff. And because Loki season two does seem to be built a ton around Kang, that actually did kind of knock it down a pick for me. I'm, I'm not as excited as I was, you know, as about the first season. Because the second season, it's just, you know, it's taking some great stuff that I love about the first season. But I just don't care about Kang. And that's even excluding all the real life stuff. I'm just talking about the character and the movie. And Trial like happening now live. You yeah, I'm not, I'm not touching all that. This. I'm just talking about the character itself. I just don't care. <laughs> so, you know, that's me. I mean, all right. Uh, what's next on the agenda? All Table right. Top. Oh, my goodness. We get to move into some tabletop. Uh, I'm going to make this quick because we got tabletop and comics to get to. And I want to want to get everyone out uh, soon. So a lot of stuff, though, happened this week. And one of the things that was actually announced was the new for people who played Marvel Dice Throne, which is excellent. And you totally should. There's actually a X-Men version that is coming later this year to Kickstarter. Well, uh, had a chance to test some out some of the characters. You can check full impressions uh, coming later on. The Kickstarter hits on October 17th. Uh, but I got to test out Iceman and Storm. And Iceman is one of my favorite characters. Uh, so I was always going to be a little bit biased, probably. But both of them actually play uh, extremely well. And they're just very different. Uh, Iceman... Actually, a lot of his, like, even his defensive abilities actually hit for damage. Uh, and he's got, like, a way, there's actually on his board, you can probably see it, there's little arrows that go from one to the other uh, of his abilities. And you can actually, like, combo into those and kind of give up re-rolls to do so. Uh, and that's called his Delight. So it's actually really cool. He's also got a card that's actually a freezer that can store ice shards so he can spend more of those, collect more, and buy more glide tokens to move between abilities. He's really cool. Plus, there's a ton of puns on his board. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for that. Storm, on the other hand, actually, you have to be more attentive of like status effects. So like she has lightning, tornado, uh, wind shear, and you actually need to, she has abilities that just do nothing but gain her those tokens. And you kind of need to be more forward thinking. Uh, because if you use those tokens the right way, you can deflect damage, you can actually take your opponent's dice and use those to aid your own. She actually has an ability on here that allows for like a full straight, which demands that you actually take tokens from the other player. Uh, also, all of these designs that they did for the X-Men are like original creations and stuff. So there's more, obviously the starter set has Wolverine and Psylocke as well, but there's more characters to come. They'll reveal those as time goes on, but really enjoying it. Definitely recommend you check out our, our coverage on comicbook.com and the Kickstarter one hits. Uh, then of course there is Disney Lorcana, uh, the juggernaut that you cannot <laughs> avoid or ignore. Uh, and the new, uh, the new set was just announced. Obviously, right now, everyone's just trying to get the first chapter, and that stuff is sold out everywhere. Uh, but Rise of the Floodborne will be hitting later this year. Uh, it has a Winnie the Pooh card, son. Winnie the Pooh is part of the group. Uh, Raya and the Last Dragon is part of the group. Zootopia, they're bringing a lot of uh, new movies into the mix. Um, the Great Mouse Detective is in this set. And also, one of the big things here, obviously, is the Floodborne are kind of like Think of them as Elseworld versions of Disney characters. So the cards and stuff reflect that, right? Like Winnie the Pooh is a honey wizard, uh, which is amazing. Uh, Belle is actually like a, a archer and a hunter. And uh, Gaston is like an intellectual thinker. Like they're they're doing all these kind of riffs on characters and their cards. Uh, and it's the beautiful art from the first, from the first set. Uh, there will be new boosters and new, new starter sets. This will actually hit. Uh, looks like on it will be in stores, local stores on November 17th, and then mass market will hit December 1st. Uh, it's going to probably be as in demand as the first one was. So if you <laughs> if you can make it to stores quick after this hits, you're going to want to. Uh, I have been out hunting around as well. I managed to find two booster packs, so I have those to open at some point. Uh, but it is definitely worth checking out. Um, and that is uh, is Gaston's character still particularly good at expectorating? Patui. Yes, he is. Yay! He's intellectual now. It's intellectual expectorant. Actually, I think his card is coming up here in a minute. <laughs> and I almost want to let it uh, let it go uh, to to see if it's actually nice. It is. Oh my god! There it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. 
Uh, and then last but not least, um, and this doesn't, you know, have any uh, kind of big images or anything yet, uh, but there is a new Witcher board game. Uh, there's The Witcher, The Old World, which came out, actually started hitting Kickstarter backers and retailers uh, earlier this year. But the same team, Go On Board, is teaming up with CD Projekt Red uh, to create a new Witcher board game called Path of Destiny. Uh, this one is a standalone. You don't need to own the other one. They're two separate things. Uh, for fans of the games, this one actually takes like is an interpretation of the artwork and the character designs from Witcher 3 and, and those characters. Dandelion's back. You know, it's not based on the Netflix series. It's totally based. It seems to be totally based on the actual books and the games. And so you'll be playing like multiple story missions, uh, one based on the Striga. And, you know, there, there's all that kind of stuff pulling from the world. This hits Kickstarter uh, later this year as well. I believe this hits Kickstarter. Oh, sorry. This hits GameFound on October 19th. So more information will come. But uh, make sure to check out comicbook.com for all of that, uh, if you can. So that is our tabletop segment. Any any questions before we move into comics? Any taken from the from the court there? Okay, I just want to don't want to exclude anyone. Thank you, by the way, for loving Iceman as well. I love. I saw your comments. Thank you very much. Uh, and for comics, actually, we we did a lot of DC over the last couple of weeks, and this week it worked out. We got a lot of Marvel, and our own Connor Casey actually reviewed Daredevil number one. For us, so uh, I'm gonna I'm let you lead off here. What uh, what did you think about Daredevil number one? And uh, you know, Connor. this really is kind of a clean slate. Yeah, let's give it. Sure. So this one is a bit of a challenge. Um, you've got Saladin Ahmed taking over a brand new number one. Um, if you're brand new to Daredevil, if you're a fan of the TV show of his film appearances, and you want to dive in, this one's going to be a bit of a challenge because this is picking up where Zdarsky's run left off which has Matt uh, coming back from hell inexplicably. Uh, he's now a priest. No one other than Electra knows he's alive, and he only has fragments of the memory of his old life. And uh, on top of being a priest, he's kind of doing the John Constantine thing where he's going to fight a demon, and the demon possesses Electra, and it's it's drawn really interestingly in how they kind of interpret the possession. Uh, but it's not your typical street thug, you know, vigilante daredevil it's something very different now if you're if you're coming at it from the sadarsky run you also might be a little bit disappointed because that one obviously left on the big cliffhanger of hey why is matt alive and a priest and has no memory what what gives and the book kind of gives a shrug of and eh, god did it and but that's matt's explanation there really isn't a, a, a definitive one it kind of reminds me of how the soul run started where you know everyone knew Matt was Daredevil, and then suddenly they don't, and you don't know until about like eight issues in that oh it was Purple Man's kids that did it, and we get a whole big explanation for that. I have no doubt that eventually we'll get some sort of hey here's how he's back, and we'll explain what happened when he was still trapped in hell. Uh, but if you look past that, it's actually still a pretty decent story. It's uh, Ahmed gets the. Uh, you know, voice for Matt, the inner turmoil. It's not just Catholic guilt this time. It's, hey, I have memories of this old life. Um, should I do something about that? There's a part of me that really wants to go save this Electra girl right now, even though I'm not quite sure who she is. And he, he really nails that down. Um, the, the action is interesting. It's it's maybe a little too quick to get him back in a Frank Miller type look with the mask. And then by the end of the issue, he's back in the full getup. But I'm it, there's enough here for me to be curious as to what they're doing next. I don't know if this is going to be a Zadarsky level run. I don't know if this is going to get to the levels of Miller, Kevin Smith, or uh, Brian Michael Bendis. But it's interesting. I'll, I'll give it that. I gave it a four because it's, it, 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 it's well done and the artwork's gorgeous. Yeah, Kofi. Um, I think that like the Red Fist saga is going to be something that's hard to top for many, many years, uh, just because of how big it was, how epic it was, what big things happened, and, and how interesting it was, and how it synced up with like Punisher and all that stuff that was happening over there, and this larger saga of the Hand and the Beast and the Fist and all of that. And so I really liked the Red Fist saga. I liked it for what it did for Matt, what it did for Elektra, and kind of the role that put them in and leading this and you know, this other group. So it's hard to match that. Now, where it ended, like you said, was this cliffhanger. And I think this first issue does a good job of 
doing what first issues have to do. This one's a little bit slower, but I think by the end, it sets up an interesting new status quo, which is what it was tasked with doing. We get enough answers, but not fully. Like, yeah, Matt's saying, and I think the real hook for me here is the idea of Matt Murdock, like Electra knows he's back. He kind of knows he's back, but like he's leaning into this new life. Electra's trying to let him live it because it's always like, you know, religion was always a big part of Matt's life. And so him becoming this priest is almost like this manifestation of, oh, I wish from another life, like I could have had this purpose if I wasn't a lawyer and a crime fighter and all this stuff. So it's interesting to see him get this chance and like what happens when he gets it. And, you know, you already see him in this issue, like acting not like a priest when he beats up a bunch of pimp and his buddies, like outside, you know, where this safe house, where this, you know, halfway house where they're keeping this woman who's trying to get away from these guys. And so like, that's interesting to me. I also like the idea of daredevil actually using faith in his religion as a weapon that that is the battleground we are on. So like while Electra is the street level kind of daredevil, we know the Avenger daredevil, the vigilante, the hell's kitchen protector, Matt's looking like he's going on in like a spiritual battle journey. Like he's going to be battling the occult and all these other things And his faith is what makes him win. Like daredevil holding a cross and performing an exorcism is interesting to me. We haven't seen it because again, Everything with Matt and the devil and God and all of this has always been the part of the fabric of the character, just never kind of really expressed quite this way. And so I'm interested. I don't know if it's going to work, but the idea of Matt fighting and like being an exorcist as well as a kind of like a crime fighter and this new kind of take on the split identity where he almost has like the daredevil of Zen RR, Zen NR, like in his yeah. mind kind of hanging out is interesting and seeing what choice he ultimately makes and what that does to like Electra and everybody else around him. So it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be as interesting or as good as the Epic saga we just got, but I don't think anything once that like graphic novel comes out, the red fist saga, the whole thing. Like, I don't know if you're gonna have another milestone daredevil story like that for years to come. So, yeah, I think you, I think you nailed it. Like, because I agree with both of you. I, you know, I, I think it's a little slow, I think, but I think it does a lot in its first issue and it sets things up well for the future. I think it is abrupt when he gets back in the uh, a suit. <laughs> I was like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> Am I missing like two pages? Like, it, it felt really straight over his head. What happened? <laughs> but I but I agree with, you know, Kofi in the sense that like when you follow up a run like that, to me, the only thing to do is either go bigger or go left and do something different and this sets the tone of doing something different like we can't top that so <laughs> what we're gonna do is pivot and go somewhere that is just takes the character not out of their comfort zone but readers because we they don't get to see this side of him i mean the the possession scenes where like the demons like got electra's body like it's right her body, here. and his body is on top of her. Oh, like, so disconcerting! Like it was just like, ah, oh, that's so creepy. Uh, but those scenes were like, I couldn't, you couldn't not stare at them. Like you were just, you were invested, and you know, he's giving the teases of like, I'm the easy one. Like the other ones won't be so. Yeah, easy. I was about to say. All that's that what stuff, I loved. Yeah, it's really good. Like that stuff has gonna, me interested. You know. Yeah, it's like he's battling the actual because he's pissed off the actual like devils of yeah. hell. He killed one of their own and like now it seems like they're coming at him and the devil and this one doesn't get defined, but he's like the demon or devil of of sloth of laziness. Sloth. Yeah. And he kind of says like, yeah, I'm the lazy one. I'm the easy one. <laughs> like you've got more coming to you, partner. But like, yeah, Daredevil in an exorcist, exorcist movie is is kind of interesting. And, you know, as a Ninja Squirrel fan, seeing anybody named like the eight devils of anything is is interesting to me. If you know that or, Ninja Scroll reference, shout out to you. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I can't wait to see what it is. And I feel like there's a lot of this that obviously carries the kind of Middle Eastern cultural influences of the writer. Like, and this is much like Jin mythology, if you know anything about like in Middle Eastern kind of religious philosophy or uh, storytelling, the Jin and like what those are. There's a lot of that that feels like it's kind of influencing this. And I like that. I'm down with that. So I really kind of like, like you said, 
it's not just it's kind of a larger kind of religious spiritual thing and not just so hyper focused on Catholicism and a Catholic imagery of it all. And that's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and then we move into Avengers Incorporated, which is uh, completely different, but also deals with death. And I had no idea what this was. I still don't. <laughs> okay. So uh, this essentially is stars Janet Van Dyne. And this is her kind of making a deal with Luke Cage to, you know, investigate these cases of several villains being killed while they were in their cells uh, and like with like bullet to the head style. So it's, you know, like, how did this happen or whatever? So she starts to investigate this. And as things unfold, it's like, OK, people aren't dead. Then we get possession. Then we get. Oh, that's the Victor shade is the person possessing. And that's an alias of vision. And then like, now they're working together. (laughs) It's so weird. It's weird. I I don't know. Um, I, and then also we, you know, the big reveal at the end, right. That it's Hank, like orchestrating some of this. Like if you're a fan of the PIM side of things, you know, I, I think like you'll, I don't know if you'll get more out of it, but I think you'll probably be super hooked for moving forward with that reveal. For me, I, I had a lot of questions. It was not bad. It was actually enjoyed the issue. I just, it's one of those things where like, I don't know if I'll stick with it. I don't think it hooked me enough to like stay with this, but I will say it was very different from anything else I read this week. So I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence with it, but what'd you guys think? It, it's so it starts out great. The the mystery of, hey, six people, all in different cells, gun to the head, shot dead. And then by halfway through, it's like, actually, none of them are dead. And that one's vision. And he doesn't know why. And I'm just kind of sitting there. I'm like, well, you just sucked all the fun out of this mystery. And it's like, and somehow it's Hank Pym, who I haven't cared about since half of his face was Ultron. So I don't, uh, you lost, you lost me about halfway through this book. I mean, I like, I love it when Al Ewing does like, the fantastical comic book stuff. I'm not, and I don't mean this, I mean this respectfully, but I don't like it when Al Ewing is doing like Tom King light. And this felt like Tom King light. In fact, I had to go back and look at it because I just jumped into it. And then I had to be like, wait, who is writing this? And like, I went back and I was like, oh, it's okay. It's Al Ewing. Yeah. Al Ewing doing Tom King light is not my favorite. I don't think it's like his best playground when he's trying to do like noirish grounded stuff. Like, I want more Immortal Hulks and X-Men Reds and taking the kind of... He adds, like, a weird, almost, like, medieval fantasy Game of Thronesian feel to, like, comic book lore. Like, yeah. X-Men Red feels like Game of Thrones with mutants on Mars, you know what I mean? Like, Immortal Hulk has that kind of same, almost, like, mythological prestige to it. This is just kind of weird. It's, like, so emphasized, like, we're not doing costumes. Like, okay, bro, I get it. Like you're stripping it down. You're doing something different. Yeah. Then there's like this weird mythology we're picking up from like the Vic Sage thing. How many people really can just suss that all out and know what that's all about? Like you're picking mythology that's so obscure. And like, yes, it picks up from the Ant-Man and the Wasp miniseries that he did. I get that. But like how popular is that? How much are people like familiar with like what Eric O'Grady and Hank Pym have been up to in the current Marvel universe or care all that much? Grady was great in the Thunderbolts and things like that. But like, I mean, how much have we cared about any of this stuff? So yeah. it's kind of a weird concept of a series to me. Yeah. And like you I said, mean, look, this, this issue is more confusing than anything. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot. And I will say the, you know, the premise of like this duo in the cover, right. It's obvious. The Avengers homage to like, the yeah, TV that's what I thought it was when I, yeah. And so I'm like, oh, that immediately hooked me, even just upon seeing the cover. It's like, okay, that's interesting. And then you kind of look at it like, okay, a mystery and Jan, like that. It has ingredients that are that are compelling. I just, I don't know. It was a little, it was a little much for me. Um, But moving real quick into uh, other wrecks, a weird book that you absolutely should be reading is House of Slaughter, Uh, number seventeen. This is the second part of a of a story arc with Bait. Who, if you don't know who Bait is, he's literally a, a white mask who. Uh, doesn't have any arms. He doesn't have any arms. And yet he is one of the most lethal characters in the, like something is killing the children universe. Uh, And his like totem is this weird, like origami thing of like when kids play with like the multiple little people or 
it's so insane and like there's this book rules so you should absolutely read it. there's a big mystery at the center of it you should read it uh my more power rangers teenage Mutant ninja turtles 2 which is just awesome fun is now in trade so you can pick up that whole series there a book we talked about so long ago is finally in trade uh dark knights of steel volume one has now been collected uh and so that we should we we didn't get to talk about it much because there was a huge delay between issues but tom taylor oh, yeah. did some amazing stuff here uh yeah and we'll then see kelly and then Kelly Thompson, uh, her original series, Black Cloak, is the first volume is now also in trade. So if you are waiting for trades, this is a great week. So that is comics. Yeah, I want the Steel Verse to continue. That was that was pretty great. Um, also, Matt, a uh, big important comic topic. Where are my books? You know, it's funny. I was just talking to Connor about that because <laughs> I said I, I will have to send this thing to you with Kofi's books that I have yet to get to him. They were literally going to be sent out they're going to sit around my house at nights waiting for something about killing the children in a seat by myself okay that's okay the they're just weird. not there as a sentence by sitting there <laughs> just sitting there just waiting I'm like, that's gonna get a knock on the door it's gonna be kofi with a bat being like where are my books matt get me my there, books. i'm gonna be there with a library bag like put my books in like come on <laughs> all right well, this has been Comic Book Nation. If you guys are just tuning in now, I'm still waiting on Matt to send me something that's killing the children. But it's been a bit of a wait, but we're still going to ongoing. It, it, week to week, I'll keep you updated on how this goes and what's happening. And that's pretty much the premise of our show. I'm just kidding. We cover all things geek culture. We are the official podcast, so we cover things uh, that we do on comicbook.com. If you are just now getting the show, as I said at the opening, be sure to subscribe to us on youtube.com backslash comic book one word dash nation. Also, you can subscribe to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv backslash comic book one word, where you can watch us, our other sister podcast, Phase Zero, which covers Marvel stuff, our Pokemon podcast, a wild podcast has appeared, and other shows and things that appear on that channel. If you are trying to contact us, you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Connor KCCB. And you can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. Be sure this week to check out our Ahsoka Episode 5 Instant Reaction episode, as well as the PS5 Spider-Man 2 gameplay recap. We had somebody from Comic Book Gaming, Logan Moore, go out and he spent hours, hours playing Spider-Man 2 on the PS5. And he had a lot of really good things and interesting observations to share. Plus, we got to throw questions at him as both gaming and Marvel fans. You want to hear this stuff. You want to know what's going on with Spider-Man 2. So be sure to check that out. It's up on the YouTube channel right now. And it's also on these podcast platform channels. So be sure to check that out as well. Otherwise, this is our regular live show. Check us out every Friday at 12 noon Eastern. We'll see you next week. I'm Kofi Outlaw. This is Comic Book Nation. Peace. Later. This is...